Full Credit to the Boys is a podcast by Cheek Media Co., which discusses topics including mental health, masculinity, sexuality, healthy relationships, sexual violence, First Nations issues, and other vital social and political conversations. Some content may be triggering for some listeners. Stephen Bates is the Federal Greens MP for the seat of Brisbane. He was elected in the 2022 federal election, leaving a job in retail to enter the Canberra bubble. Stephen is a proud gay man who holds the Greens portfolios of youth and LGBTQIA+. He is fighting for climate action, universal public services, a cleaner democracy and equality. This is Full Credit to the Boys. Before we start this interview, I'd like to acknowledge that we are recording on the lands of the Yagara and Turrbal people. This was and always will be Aboriginal land. Stephen Bates, Federal MP for Brisbane. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, I've just said your title, but do you want to introduce yourself, explain who you are to people that might not know, which I assume everyone listening knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, my name is Stephen Bates. I'm the New Greens MP for the seat of Brisbane. Um, we're very, very lucky and fortunate enough to win the seat of the coalition in the election in May this year. You're not lucky. You worked really hard. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work, and I feel like it's it's a little bit of luck as well. plays oh, a part. And but. also the grinder advertising. That was viral. <laughs> like, I remember every time I was like, oh, I'm in the Brisbane electorate. You know, I think it's between Madonna Jarrett and Stephen Bates. And people were like, he's the one that advertised on Grindr. <laughs> it was like a huge deal at the time. Yeah, people still ask me about it. It was sort of... <laughs> It was the best money we ever spent to be honest, <laughs> on the whole campaign. We sort of did it just as a, because um, the electorate has a quite a bit queer population, yeah. and um, we thought, oh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of these people are living in you know, apartments yeah. where we can't really door knock, yeah. we can't access people, yeah. and it's you know part of the job of campaigning is to meet people where they're at. So we thought a lot of gay people are on Grinder. <laughs> so, yeah, Genius. We'll advertise on that, and it wasn't even that expensive to do, no. and then. Yeah, all of a sudden, um, yeah, like all these different media outlets picked it up and like these sort of like information and news media voices mm-hmm. that, you know, we in the Greens don't always necessarily get access to like commercial radio yeah. and morning television and things like that. And everyone just thought it was funny, but it also... It really <laughs> did the job. It got the job, it did the job and then it gave us a platform to talk about our policies and yes. our vision for, for the community. So yeah, yeah it... Yeah, I think it was the best, like, 200 bucks we ever spent. That's brilliant, yeah. honestly. Oh, um, one of my first questions I was thinking when I was on the way here and what I wanted to ask you about was, you know, as a member of the LGBT community and as someone who has gone from, basically, you were working in retail prior mm. to politics and prior to being, being elected, how has that switch actually affected you? How are you feeling and how does that sort of power dynamic within yourself change when you go from, you know, working a normal, you know, shift work Mm. to going into this position where, you know, these have always been sort of the positions of power, the highest echelons of power within an institution where you can make huge change. How does that feel? (laughs) Um, You get a lot of imposter syndrome where you feel sort of, and I think that's natural for someone. I think maybe people can relate when you are coming from sort of a minority group or you feel like you have to apologize for yourself constantly and you feel like, oh, maybe I don't really belong here. Was this a mistake? Like this this institution isn't really meant for someone like me. But that's the reason that you've got you to stay and you've got to do it and you've got to push through. But yeah, it's been a massive change. 
from going from going from you know customer service retail into effectively what I see though as a different form of customer service. And I think the skills from retail and hospo actually benefited me far more than I think anything else in my life could have prepared me for, could have helped me with. Mm. So being able to just talk to people normally and naturally and strike up conversations and make conversations with people and have yeah normal discussions that don't feel forced and don't feel pre-scripted or anything like that actually makes talking about politics quite easy because it can come it comes across more naturally and i found that while we were door knocking just sort of falling back into oh yeah falling back into customer service essentially because yeah. that's really what it is at the end of the day yeah and yeah, I think a lot of politicians would benefit from doing a few shifts <laughs> at their local police. But yeah, no, so it's sort of, it's been a big change, but thoroughly enjoyable and loving it. And yeah, it's the first time in my life where I will go to bed and think, I can't wait to go to work in the morning. Wow, so, yeah. that's really amazing. I mean, it's, it's early days, right? Like, early, it's, it's, it's still really months. inspiring. But, like, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm just holding on to that love yeah. as long as possible. Oh, I think that's fair enough. And it's a, I mean, what has the reception been like? What, like, when you entered Parliament, when you made your maiden speech, you know, like, what, what does it actually feel like in there? Especially, mm. Not only as a Greens MP, but as, again, as an LGBTQIA plus member of the community. Like, what does that actually feel like in terms of, the reception you receive from other politicians, mm. not within the Greens, I'm, I'm assuming what that would be like is a <laughs> tight-knit community, but from the other sides. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a few examples. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, people that I've met with, uh, people that I've met just you know, at events um, in the Senate from other particular very small parties. Ah, interesting. <laughs> I wonder what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, who, um, just observations that I make, like they'll shake everyone's hand, won't touch me. Really? Yeah, yeah. But it's sort of, I just, I honestly just laugh that off because I think, oh, you're so pathetic. <laughs> I just don't care about you or yeah. what you think. But yeah, it is going in there and being in the chamber is very, very surreal from the first time I went in all the way through to now, because you know, you're, you see this room on TV or on you know social media and you see all these big historical moments that have happened in that room for better or for worse. And yeah, sitting in there is very, it can be overwhelming at times. It can be humbling as well, but yeah, getting up to do the maiden speech, um, which I actually ended up writing at 11 p.m. the night before. Why? <laughs> well, because I had written one, yep. and I was rereading it the day before and was like, oh, no, this is really bad. Really? <laughs> yeah. what, was, what was the change? I just felt like when I was reading when I was reading over it and speaking it out loud, it just felt very robotic mm -hmm. to me, and it didn't feel like... My sort of line for speeches is, if I can't rehearse it and get passionate about it, you haven't written a good speech. <laughs> so, and as I was reading through it, I was like, this is like, I, I would stop listening is essentially what I thought when I was going through it. Yeah. And I thought that's a sign. Redo this. Just like write, write what you want to say, not yeah. what you think you should say. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I ended up writing it at yeah, 11 o'clock the night before, <laughs> but um, yeah, then standing up and actually delivering it in there was, yeah, I felt absolutely fine 
right up until the moment where I talked about my family being supportive of me coming out. And it was so strange because I literally felt 100% okay, started that sentence, got the lump in the throat, and I thought, oh God, what's happening? And yeah, I remember just, if I felt like I stood there for forever, not saying anything. And I kept telling myself in my head, like, you have to keep going, you have to keep going. The sooner you start talking, the faster you can get through it and you'll calm down and you'll move through it. And it was really nice. You could hear um, Adam Bant who sits next to me and the Teals who sit around me you could hear them saying, you can do it, you can do it. Oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Like you, you're okay, you can do it. So that was really, really lovely as well, having that support. But yeah, it, I feel like it was a big moment on a personal level because it felt like almost like the closing of a chapter for me in in that specific part of my life of sort of the, the whole coming out journey because you know sometimes when you are going through that process of coming out you'll be very selective about who you tell and who you don't tell like when you start a new job you've got to sort of you know suss it out is this okay for me to talk about here can people know about this is this going to negatively impact me and this is a big new job to yeah start. <laughs> and it's a big new job to start it and you're sort of just announcing to the whole country yeah. hello this is who i am this is how I got here. And so for me, it was sort of a very, yeah, bookending, yeah, that sort of coming out journey for me. And I think that's why I got very emotional during it because it felt like, yeah, like I did it. Yeah, sort of for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess, and I, I don't, under, I wouldn't claim to understand what <laughs> it must be like, but you know, when you're, when that aspect of your identity is, sort of promotional material in a sense for the mm. community you know like you're again as you said the brisbane electorate is made up of a large queer community in some senses you're trying to promote that aspect of yourself to you know say i'm here i represent you i will make you heard and i will represent and and speak to your issues in parliament mm. and in the other sense you probably feel afraid that that will deter voters right uh, so there'll be some voters in the liberal heartland areas in brisbane in the brisbane electorate that would be put off by that say mm. so it must be a hard moment when you're campaigning and openly um, having those tensions. Like, how did that feel at the time? Was it a tension within your identity or at that point were you like, well, I know what I need to do? It was definitely the latter. So it was a very affirming experience, the whole of the campaign, because I always sort of wondered, oh God, if I'm gonna be public about being gay, am I nervous about that? How do I feel about that going forward? But I think a lot of people as well respect you respecting yourself enough to not back down, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes, it does. So if you are, you know, door knocking with someone or you hear someone say something about you and say, I would, I'm not going to vote for you because you're gay, it would, I'd sort of be like, okay, no worries, bye. That's <laughs> I'm not going to spend another minute. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to waste your time, like, <laughs> yeah, sort of thing. And some people actually appreciate that because it's, you're not trying to change who you are to appease someone. And I think, that's what, well, that's what annoyed me about politicians. And I think annoys a lot of people about politicians is that they come across as if they're constantly trying to adapt themselves and change themselves to appeal to every single person. And I think that's naive because you're never going to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think if you try to do that, you end up pleasing no one because everyone sees you as, you know, fake and just will say whatever they can to get elected. And I think, yeah, just, I made the, it was a conscious choice to make being make myself being gay a prominent part of the campaign because 
I mean, yeah, it was, it was up to me, essentially, if I wanted to make it a thing or if we wanted to hide it. And I thought, no, because especially coming out of the previous three years with all the just rampant transphobia that had, and homophobia that had come from the previous government, mm. I thought, no, it's important to actually take a stand, be proud of who you are, because you don't know who that's actually helping. Yeah. And, yeah, so I think I'm sure there would be people in the electorate that don't like it. But the previous member was also okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's sort of, um, yeah, like, we exist. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to keep running for office. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think so long as you're, you know, unashamed of who you are, real about who you are, and, yeah, don't be afraid to sort of back down from who you are, even if it seems hard in the moment, but people end up, appreciating it and respecting it which sounds weird to say and I don't claim to understand why <laughs> people think like that but that's just personal experience that I've that I've had and I would say the feedback has been the comments that we've got have been overwhelmingly in the positive yeah I think it's also a bit more of an interesting electorate like when you do talk about the liberal voters I would describe them far more as liberals as opposed to conservatives. Yeah, so, that's really interesting. Yeah, so you have the social progressivism mm -hmm. across the voters and the electorate, which I think is why part of a reason someone like myself can get up and be the MP. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What do you think, like going off what you've said about, you know, the way that the, the last government mm. was wildly transphobic and homophobic what do you think is wrong with the way that australia debates minority issues oh that's a big question yes i don't know why i've said a very big question there <laughs> as if it was a light throw away <laughs> i hmm i think i think the issue that we run into is that it gets framed as like this big culture war and it gets framed in the context that um, it's framed in the context and a lot of politics is that you can't walk and chew gum at the same time mm -hmm. in that people seem to perceive that if you're talking about, you know, queer liberation or trans rights, that that means you are purposefully ignoring, you know, poverty and other things that affect, you know, queer people and also the broader cross-section of population and i think that's a i think that's a failure of left-wing politics in particular that yeah you're sort of your, your traditional labor parties in australia across a lot of western democracies that they haven't been able to bring along class politics with identity politics as well and i think when you see a lot of people you know, falling into poverty and wages are going backwards and cost of living and inflation is through the roof. And then your average Joe sees someone talking about um, trans rights. They naturally think, oh, they're not talking about me. They're ignoring me. And I think that's a failure of political parties to include social liberation with economic liberation as well. So when we are talking about yeah, we see like the Labour Party sort of ignore its ignore its base and ignore the working class of Australia in favour of, you know, their donors. Mm -hmm. And so then 
yeah, their economic policies are effectively almost the same as the Liberals. So when these working class people see Labour just talking about social issues, that resentment builds, and I think that's why we get that sort of cultural war yeah. that happens because, yeah, people perceive that governments can only do one thing at a time, and that's usually because governments have been... Governments don't want to do many things at a time. So I think, yeah, that's sort of where... That's where I think it comes from, is perception that people think governments can't walk, yeah, do two things at once or multiple things at once, but also the sort of failure of traditionally left-wing parties to... They've abandoned their economic messaging. And so when I think... When they do that, I think that makes it hard to bring people along in other policy aspects of, as well. I feel like I rambled a lot there. No, that was actually really interesting. But... And I think that we don't discuss enough, especially as people who exist within the left... Um, how we deal with the infighting and how we mm. deal with the relationship. You know, I think in, in some ways it's very bold to refer to the Labour Party as left. I know, that's sort of so... why I stopped myself. I was like, traditionally left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it depends on the policy that you're talking about. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and no, I think that it's a, it's a discussion point that doesn't come up enough is that often the right will band together on mm. certain issues and we fail to do that a lot of the time. Mm, mm. Um, and I guess, do you see a lot of your job as bringing holding Labour to account and pushing them as far left as possible. And also, how do you feel about the ideas of, I think it's thrown a lot, it's thrown around a lot, especially with the Greens, is like, don't let perfect be the enemy <laughs> of the good. <laughs> My favourite phrase. <laughs> um, to answer your first question, yes, I see my job is to hold the government to account, whether that's the Liberals or Labour. And because you shouldn't just let governments get away with whatever they want to do. Mm. Because the people of Brisbane elected me to represent, you know, the policies that I was elected on. So I, at the very least, owe it to them <laughs> to be, you know, pushing further and pushing for more. And you're pushing for better policies. So yeah, 100%. The role of anyone who's not inside the government is to hold the government to account, no matter what party mm -hmm. they may be from. Um, second part of your question, <laughs> don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um... I pushed back on that and said, what is the good? I think that's a good take. So, <laughs> in like, because if the good is doing the absolute bare minimum, then it's not good. Mm -hmm. It's the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think it's also such an indictment that, such an indictment of politics in Australia that people are like, oh, yeah, it's still shit. But like, can we just have that? Like, that's all we probably deserve. So part of my job is saying, no, this isn't good enough. You deserve more. Like one in, what was it? One in six children living in poverty is not the good. Yeah. Like <laughs> that is, that's an awful outcome of our political and economic system. And me pushing for, you know, increase like income support payments or getting Medicare expanded or pushing for greater action on climate change is not is not stopping the good because there was no good to begin with. Yeah. There was there was the bare minimum. And we're just asking for, in some cases, just a little bit more to make it the good. Yeah. How is the government failing LGBTQIA plus Australians? <laughs> um, I think we got one mention in the budget. Oh, nice. Um, which I was... Which is better than I was expecting, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, is that a win? I'm not sure. But, um, you know, we've sort of been pushing... Well, we have been pushing for this um, LGBTQIA plus human rights commissioner 
and that has been pushed back from the government in the House and the Senate. Um, we're also waiting for the new religious discrimination bill to come back, which we think is going to come back early in the new year, which I am not excited for. <laughs> so we're sort of trying to, you know, get in on that process and see if we can polish a turd, but <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Um, I also think it's just, you know, back to sort of that, that broader economic argument and question, you know, where people are almost well, are twice as like twice more likely to be homeless than straight counterparts. When you factor in, when you talk about trans people specifically, it's something like 17 times more likely. You know, we have worse rates of mental illness, higher rates of suicide. That, I think, is how the government is failing our community. And I think you can then expand that to be that's also how the government's failing the country as a whole because they're not, they're not pursuing policies that actually dramatically improve people's material conditions and i think if you do that and you say say you like one of our policies was to build far more public housing that would yes help broader community and broader society at large but it would also then help the groups that are disproportionately impacted by homelessness so you're helping both the queer community but you're also helping society at large yeah so and then if you when we talk about getting mental health and medicare you're helping the queer community specifically by giving people access to mental health support that they desperately need. And you're also helping, you know, young people who something like one in three young people say they have mental illness at the moment. So you're helping all these subgroups that, but also helping, you know, the broader population because all those groups add up to become the population. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how the government's failing LGBTQIA plus people and a lot of different minority groups as well in that same aspect they're not they're not targeting their policies at the sort of base economic level that would improve people's lives dramatically yeah. and i think you've got to pair that with things like a human rights commissioner with the sort of broader they're not structural but with the sort of broader what's the word that i'm after you mean broader powers broader powers yeah, yeah 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 you've got to you've got to combine both because if you just have one and you don't do the other like, say you just have the commissioner, but you're not actually increasing mental health support whatsoever. Mm. What was the point of the commissioner? Mm. Because the commissioner is going to tell you that you need to improve mental health access. Yeah. So if you're not actually following through on those policies and improving people's lives at the very base level, that's when I think you're failing the yeah. community. Do you feel like an outsider? Yes. <laughs> that's such a short answer but yeah it is how i feel like i feel like an outsider because i'm younger i think i feel more like an outsider because i'm younger more than anything else so no one really brings up the gay thing <laughs> ever down in parliament um but yeah, you sort of get the vibe that because you're younger, you sort of, you get dismissed. Yeah. Or they try to dismiss you a lot How? faster. How? Um, won't sort of look at you in hallways, won't pay attention to you, um, keep pushing your meetings down and down and down and down. I see. <laughs> Just that sort of like, you know, super, not subtle, but... <laughs> hierarchy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's sort of reinforcing that you're young, wait your turn kind of vibe 
when that shouldn't be how, you know, we all got elected in there the same way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of the point of democracy. But yeah, I do feel like an outsider. But at the same time, you're not there to try and impress the government or the opposition. You're, you're quite the opposite. Quite yeah. the opposite. You're there to hold them to account, but you're also there to represent the people that sent you there. And so I think, like, if I have a really bad day, which does happen, like, and there's a story in there, but, like, if you do have a really bad day and, you know, you've been shouted at in the chamber, which happened to me really, really early on, mm. I will tell the story because it is relevant. I would like you to. But, yeah, I was yeah. going to ask anyway. But, uh, yeah, so really, really early on, I got yelled at in the chamber by some some member and it was probably like the second sitting week mm. maybe the third it was really really near the beginning and i remember feeling so taken aback by it and so like maybe i shouldn't have done that maybe i shouldn't have said what i said in my speech like what was it in reaction to um it was in stuff i was talking about um things i was talking what was it i think it was the, actually no it was the lgbtqia human rights commissioner mm-hmm. And why what an outrageous like, concept. I know. Wow. So rude of me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was getting yelled at. And I sort of sat there like, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe this was a bad idea. And then it's yeah, one of those moments where you, what I've learned to do, and maybe it's not very healthy, but what I've learned to do is in that moment when things like that are happening, is you have to tell yourself, this isn't some old man yelling at you. Mm. It is, but it's the institution of government that is shouting at you and that's why you have to shout back <laughs> that is real i think that's healthy yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's like it's sort of like making it an abstract almost yeah but yeah because yes it yes it's this old white dude who's telling you your shit but yeah then you sort of have to sit there and think like no this is the government that is yelling at me mm-hmm. and telling me that i'm i'm shit and that this is not worth their time it's a very big metaphor it is like and yeah. so it becomes a sort of fuel for the fire i find it's sort of like no like this is yeah the government yelling at me <laughs> like i'm not gonna let them yell at me <laughs> sort of thing so yeah that sort of was this experience where i had where i felt really deflated and down and like again back to the imposter syndrome yeah sort of fell into that headspace and then yeah one of my team was saying no like am i allowed to swear like yeah yeah it's like yeah. fuck him yeah it's like that's the yeah. government shouting at you don't let them do that yeah like you were doing a good thing you were doing the right thing yeah. like i think you're doing something right yeah 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 if they're if they're getting that annoyed but yeah. um but yeah it sort of has been very very interesting and i feel like that whole self doubt does come from growing up in the closet I feel like you have to, you know, hide who you are and hide your feelings and apologize for yourself constantly. So I feel like I'm l- pushing through that the longer I get, the further I get into the term. I know it's only been like three months, but... Must feel like a lifetime, though. The transition does. period. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's felt like... Like, it's felt like two years already yeah. has gone past. But yeah, someone only reminded me a few days ago that it was, yeah, your three-month birthday. <laughs> like, oh my God, it's felt like so much longer. But yeah, you... Yeah, pushing through that feeling of inadequacy and self-doubt has been probably the biggest challenge Mm. i would say but yeah looking at it more in the sort of abstract sense of this is the government or this is the opposition who's saying this you owe it to yourself but also to the people that sent you here and the communities that you represent to not back down from the government or the opposition 
when when do you feel most vulnerable? Hmm. Probably right before I'm about to speak. So in the sort of like five minutes before I'm going to have to talk, that's when I sort of think, oh God, what am I saying? How am I going to say this word? How am I going to ask myself a million questions? But I've gotten better at it as I've learned that you're not really talking to anyone in the chamber when you're speaking. You look straight down the camera and you're talking to people at home and that's who you're doing it for. So I am lucky, touch wood, <laughs> that I seem to have this thing where I'll get really, really terrified right before I'm about to stand up and speak and I'll feel like, oh my God, they're gonna, everyone's going to attack me. And, and then as soon as I get up and start speaking, my body just goes whoosh. And I feel fine. Wow. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I hope that never goes away. But yeah, that's probably yeah when I feel most vulnerable is yeah right right when you're about to get up and effectively make this proclamation yeah. <laughs> about what you think. Yeah, I would say yeah that's that's the that's the scary part. What what do you do for your mental health to manage this whole transition period and the stresses and the huge change in your life that's occurred this year? Mm. That is a good question, and I have a bad answer, <laughs> because at the moment, it's sort of just been go, 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 go. And I think my flaw is that I'm fine to do nonstop, but it's about actually making time, which the team is really good at forcing me to do, <laughs> making time to have time to yourself. So, like, I will have a day off rostered in my calendar. <laughs> that says by order of the team you will not work for this six hour period yeah. <laughs> sort of thing so having that downtime and having just yeah time to decompress is really really good and actually forcing yourself to have that time so whether whether it's an hour of an afternoon or an hour in the morning when you wake up to just i don't know be with your thoughts and process everything that's happening and yeah, just making peace with everything that's been happening. So sort of, yeah, like I'll have moments, even now, my most recent was maybe last month, where I was sitting in the chamber and I just giggled because it was sort of a, you're sitting in the House of Representatives. <laughs> like, yeah. like sort of where you have those moments where your brain catches up in terms of processing mentally what's been happening to where you are in the moment. Mm. And yeah, it was one of those moments where I just sort of thought, like, take, take time to enjoy what's happening, I suppose. But yeah, I, yeah, giving yourself time to have those moments and have mental catch-ups to allow yourself to process what's been going on. Something that I also try to force myself to do is exercise because I know that's good for me. Ugh. And I know it releases endorphins, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> but yeah, I, but I try to do that like three, four times a week. Yeah. And it does help as much as it pains me to say it. <laughs> but yeah, I think mostly having that downtime is something that benefits me a lot. Like, yeah, even if it's only a couple of hours, like on a day where I have 300 things on, to just sit down and exhale and breathe and sort of think to myself of like, yeah, grounding yourself, really, is the best phrase to say. You're here, you're in this moment, this is what you're doing now. Um, yeah, bringing yourself back to reality, I suppose. 
what do you think that being I mean, this is kind of a hard question because you worked really hard and your campaign went for a long time and you deserve to be elected. But what do you think your election to this seat actually communicates about our community? Oh, that is a big question. (laughs) Um, The thing that I would say is that people wanted, they wanted a change and they wanted a big change. They didn't, and this is from what people said while we were door knocking and phone backing and everything else we were doing, is that people saw the two majors as two sides of the same coin and they wanted to take a sledgehammer to the system. (laughs) They didn't want to tinker around the edges. They didn't want to band-aid things. They wanted someone to, yeah, take a hammer and smash it was the the general message (laughs) that we got from people. There was just, yeah, constant talk of, this needs to happen and neither of them are doing it. This needs to happen. Neither of them are doing it. Um, and people sort of making that connection that, which I felt it's a very long time coming, but this election definitely seemed to be the, the click for a lot of people. And I think COVID accelerated us to that click moment, the light bulb moment where people thought, you know, they went through all the quarantines and all the lockdowns and suddenly childcare could be made free. Like, literally overnight, suddenly it was free. Suddenly they could raise JobSeeker overnight. Suddenly they could do this. Suddenly they could do whatever they wanted and they could do it extremely quickly, which, yeah, is something that only government can do because government has, you know, that institutional power and has the ability to mobilize resources like that extremely quickly. And I think the major parties dug themselves a hole because they show the government can actually do good things and people and they can do them quickly. Whoops. Um, yeah, whoopsie daisy. And yeah, that was the message we got from people on the doors. Oh, they did it then. Why did they undo it? Why did they get rid of it? Because it was doable and all the constant, you know, lies that, oh, we can't do this and we can't afford that and we can't da 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 didn't work anymore. Mm. And people thought, people made those connections with, I can't, I can't afford to send my child to the early childhood education because Santos doesn't pay taxes. People really, without us doing much, <laughs> were making that connection yeah. and making that we can't afford X because, you know, Apple doesn't pay enough in taxes yeah. or we give 40 billion to the fossil fuel industry. And that's why I have to pay so much for Hex now. Yeah. People were, yeah, really making that connection without us doing much pushing at all. And I think that's why people got so fed up because they had this they had this light bulb moment and they saw the major parties as the band-aid solutions. And that's why people flew out to the Greens and to, you know, the independents. And I think, yeah, that's why we got in what any other election should have been Labour just romping it home with like 80, oh, more than that, like 90, 95 seats, they have 76, which is yeah. the bare minimum needed for government. Yeah. Like their vote went backwards. The coalition's vote went backwards. The Greens and Independents went up. Like I think, yeah, I think it was a signal that if they don't change themselves or do some sort of bold change in policy direction, that I think, this will probably be the last majority government we have in this country. 
So, I mean, we already have the coalition who are the Liberals and the Nats, but they're seen as one party. But I think, yeah, this could be the last time we have a single party government ever again. That's really exciting. So, yeah. <laughs> and I know that a lot of people think that in the majors mm. as well, yeah. that we're going to shift towards a more European-style yeah. parliament, which I think is a good thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's just more reflective of how people feel. Yeah. And I just don't think the major parties, they're such these you know ingrained, long-standing institutions that whose existence is predicated on the premise that status quo works best for us, that th they're not going to change. Yeah. They haven't been able to so far. <laughs> yeah. Final question. Bit of a biggie. Okay. Um, what is your vision? What's your dream for the future? The next 10 years. Oh my God. Um, we eradicate poverty. Everyone's happy. 100% renewables. <laughs> I think that's manageable. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, but like, honestly. <laughs> um, that is a really hard question. For me on a personal level, it would be that I could look back and say, I was able to be part of a movement or a piece of legislation or something like that, that genuinely improved people's lives, whether it's like getting mental health into Medicare, I would class that as a giant tick. That saved that, lives. Yeah. That, that, that is, that, is that, that genuinely saved people's lives and it had a very tangible outcome for people and you could go to someone and say do you think that was a good policy and it would be a universal yes it helped me or it directly impacted someone that I know or someone in my family I think that would be the biggest success that anyone could ask for that yeah you were able to be a part of something that tangibly saved someone's life or dramatically improved it um yeah, and then outside of that, the big ones that I mentioned, really. Yeah. They're biggies, but... They are biggies, but I am forever the optimist. Yeah. But, yeah, and I think at the local level, changing people's idea of what you should expect of a politician, I think is a big one, and opening up politics for more people to get involved in. So, like... Changing the idea of what a politician should be both for the community and also for people that want to get involved in politics, making people think, oh, he did it. Maybe I, maybe I should give it a go. Like seeing more people run and more different kinds of people running would I think be a good, yeah. Being able to inspire different kinds of people to run would I think be a, a really good legacy. Wow. Stephen, thanks. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us at your office. That it's been a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Full credit to The Boys is a limited series podcast by Cheek Media Co. Follow us on Instagram at cheekmedia.co or visit our website cheekmedia.com.au.